Welcome to the Victory Orlando podcast. We exist to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus and to connect them with their purpose. To learn more about us, visit us at victoryorlando.com. Thanks for listening. We pray that you are encouraged and inspired by today's message. Well, we are in a series that uh, we're calling Putting a Stop to Fear. We started this last week, and what we did is we really just kind of set the table. We kind of unpacked this whole idea of what it means to put a stop to fear in our lives. If you missed any of it, if you missed last week, get on the podcast. There's a link on our website, victoryorlando.com. You can grab it on there, or if you prefer video, you can get on our YouTube channel and subscribe on there for the videos. But we began by looking at and understanding this truth that God didn't give us a spirit of fear. God gave us something else instead. Let's look at Scripture. Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but He's given us power, love, and a self-discipline. Some translations say a sound mind, a clear thinking, clear judgment. So we have to understand right off the bat, if we are in Christ, then God has not given us a spirit of fear. So we've got to let this truth come alive inside of us. We've got to grab a hold of it and realize that fear is no longer a part of who we are once we become part of Christ, right? So 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us the process of what's happening in the moment when we give our hearts, we give our lives to Jesus. But without Christ in our lives, we're dead in our sins. We have all, we deal with pain, pride, shame, sin, all these kinds of things come at us. But then the moment that we put our faith in Christ, the moment that we say, Jesus, I need you in my life, what happens is, is that scripture says, all the old is gone. So all the sin, all the shame, all the, all the past, all the stuff, all the old is gone. He says, and you're made brand new in a single moment. Isn't that good? We are made brand new. So if all the old is gone, what is, what is in us? What is made new in us? Well, Scripture tells us he's given us his power. The very life of God comes into our spirit. He says he's given us love. His love is poured out in our hearts. That's good news for us because... 1 John 4 tells us that God's love drives out fear. So when you're made new and God's love is poured out inside of you, fear goes running for the hills. It can't stay in you. So fear no longer has a say, no longer has control in your life because you're made brand new. And that's what the sound mind, that's what the mind of Christ does is it comes along and helps us to be able to think clearly, to see beyond just the things we're dealing with, to realize and think on God's word. It gives us a sound mind, clear judgment, clear thinking. So we can recognize fear has no hold in my life. So what we need to understand is, is that as a believer in Christ, fear has no part of me. Fear doesn't exist in me, and it doesn't come from me. Now, fear will come at me and try to get me to buy into it, try to get me to open up my life so that fear can come in. But when I am in Christ, there is no fear in me because God's love is in me, and it drives out fear. So we do not have fear in our lives. But so often what we do is we allow the opportunities that come at us to create fear in us, and then we like, oh, I want to make that part of my life. And then we invite it into our life. And we begin to think about it and we begin to believe it. And I just, I'm just fed up with allowing fear to have a voice in my life. So armed with this new understanding, armed with this realization that God didn't give me fear, then it's up to me as a believer to decide how much of a voice fear has in my life. I get to decide if fear has any space in my life. 
It's not up to the devil. It's not up to fear. Jesus made it so that I would have the authority to say, fear, you better get on down the road because I don't want you in my life. So if you missed it, I encourage you. It's so important that you understand that message. Get it on the podcast because over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to address some very specific fears, begin to drill down into some things that I believe God wants us to live free from the fear of. Amen? So today, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The word of the Lord today is this, is breaking the fear of lack. Breaking the fear of lack. So we are free from the spirit of fear, but we live in a world that's full of opportunities for fear to take root in our hearts, to come at us all the time. The fear of lack is one of the most common, and it comes so subtly right? The fear of lack. Lack is um, when you're missing out on something, when you don't have enough of something. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough resources, transportation, gas, food, provision, whatever it is. Some people get into the fear of lack over the interest rates or over, you know, foreign trade or the economy or whatever. All different kinds of things coming at us. And the fear of lack is trying to capitalize on those things to try to get us to buy into this way of thinking, I'll never have enough. I guess it just won't ever be me. It'll never work out for me. I'll always just be this and I'll always be that. I don't know about y'all, but I was kind of raised that way. My mom, she raised me in church, and she did her very best, but we just never seemed to have a lot. We were always, you know, scraping by, and so I just grew up with this mentality of lack. I guess I'll just, I won't have enough. I'll just always have to scrape to get by, cut in the corners, scrimp and save, and right? Anybody ever been there before? I just believe that God has better for us, and I'm just I'm fed up with the fear having the voice in my ear of, of whispering those lies from the pit of hell. God doesn't, does, he didn't want us to live burdened or tormented by fear. If he did, he never would have given us his love that drives out the fear because he doesn't want his kids tormented. No more than we want our kids to go to school and get bullied or pushed around. No, fear is a bully. And it's time for us to exercise our authority over it and get it out of our lives. Amen. I want to make sure I'm talking to the right group today. (laughs) So we need to understand that the fear of lack is rooted in the spirit of fear. And it takes hold in people's thinking with the goal of trying to control a person's life. The fear of lack is a controlling force. And it wants to get in and control our decision-making so that we can no longer trust God, so that we can no longer see what God has for us and where he's leading us, right? We see the fear of lack rising all over our world. The book of Revelation, the very last book in the Bible, tells us about it, that in the last days, the fear of lack will be running wild. It says that in those days that people will take on the mark of the beast, and without it, you won't be able to buy or sell. That's the fear of lack right there. And so what he's saying is that, man, people are going to take on the mark of the beast because they think if they don't, they won't have what they need. They're scared, and so they'll do whatever they have to. We see this happening all over our world today. People acting in all kinds of crazy ways because they think if they don't, they'll be without. They won't have enough. So what happens then is then we end up with people who know that God has spoke to them to do something, but then they don't because they're afraid of the lack. So then you have people who know that God has spoke to them to be, be in ministry, to get 
get in a, you know, Bible college, to be trained so that they can be a pastor or they can be a worship leader or whatever else. And then all of a sudden it's a, oh, how am I ever going to pay for that? I just won't have enough. I'm going to have so many bills. I guess the only way is to take out debt and have loans and all this stuff. And so then people don't step into it because of the fear of lack. Sometimes people know they're called to be missionaries, to travel, to go to other countries, to move to another country. And they, oh, I just, I never could. I guess I won't have enough. I guess I, I don't even know how that'll be paid for. No one would want to support me. And then they don't take those steps because of the fear of lack. Same way when we, you know, when people want to start tithing, I want to start giving, I want to start doing more, but then they think, ah, I can't afford to, I can barely make it now, and then if I begin to give, how will I ever have enough of what I need? And so then, even though that they, their heart is in the right place, the spirit is willing, but their flesh is controlled by the fear of lack, and so then they don't. Same is true on the other side. Sometimes people start doing things they know they shouldn't do because of the fear of lack. So then they start compromising their standards and maybe take a job at somewhere where they know, like, I don't need to be in that environment, but how am I ever going to get a job anywhere else? And if I don't have a job, how am I ever going to provide for my family? And I just won't have enough. And so then they put themselves in a compromising situation because they're afraid they won't have enough. I've seen people who have been prayed and prayed and prayed for a church for their family to be planted and then God brings the right church and then they find it and they get in that place. We're so thankful for this place and they have a great job and then one day the boss calls and says, hey, I want you to move out of state to this other place and we're going to give you some more money. So what do they do? Pack up the family and go because well, they're going to give me more money, and i, I got to have more money so that I have a better retirement. And if I don't have this much by this point, then I'm not going to have enough. And then what am I going to do? How am I going to pay for this? And the fear of lack causes people to uproot their family from a place that God planted them. And when God says those that are planted, those that are rooted, their roots can go down deep, and they uproot their family and then put them somewhere else where God didn't lead them and direct them. And all of a sudden, they don't realize, they don't know why their family's falling apart. Their kids don't want to be in church because they're in a place that they're not supposed to be because because they're afraid they wouldn't have enough. It's the fear of lack drives us. We've got to break the control of the fear of lack in our lives. We see it all around us, portrayed in the perversion in television and movies and all this stuff. It's all rising. Fear is on the move. And what it's trying to do is condition people to a response. Get people in a position where they're afraid of something so that they take a step of action. We see it happening all the time, and the fear of lack is no different. It wants to control our thinking so that it has a grip on us. So we've got to recognize and change some of these things, right? Because the fear of lack comes, it wants to rob our vision of the future. Fear of lack comes to rob our vision of the future. Why is that significant for us? Because if we don't have vision for the future, if it's robbed our vision, we can't see anything else, then we don't see the good that God has for us. What does Jeremiah say? He says, God speaks to him. He says, I know the plans I have for you. They're plans to give you a future, to give you a hope. They're plans for your good and not for your evil. But if all I can see is the fear of lack and I can't see the good that God has in front of me, then guess what? I'm just going to sit there and be defeated and be immobilized, and I guess I just can't, so I won't. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So we've got to realize, like, the fear of lack is trying to rob us from the vision to see the thing that God has for us, to even the realization that God has provision for me. He has an abundant supply for me. God wants me to be blessed, and he's not afraid to take me there, right? Sometimes in church, uh, I know the devil comes in. Somebody's probably thinking right now, oh, pastor's talking about money. I guess I came on the wrong Sunday to church. 
But I just got to tell you, probably any Sunday you come, we're going to talk about money somewhere. Um, not because God needs your money or because the church is after your money. Listen, um, I think that for too long the church has stopped talking about some things. And what happens when the church stops talking about the truth from the word, because there's more a teaching in the Bible about money and how we handle it than there is just about any other subject. In fact, half of the parables that Jesus taught to the people were about our money and how we handle it. So there's something that we need to know. We need to get God's thinking on our resources and on our money and what we do with it. Right? And for too long, the church has shied away. Oh, we don't want to offend people. We don't want pe-. And, and so what has happened then is when the church stops talking about truth from the word, then it allows the enemy to slip in and bring perversion, twisted uh, truths from the word of God. And then people start buying into it because it doesn't seem so bad because it's just a little bit. So it's happened in the church with money. It's happened in the church with sex. The church stopped talking about it, and now we have a generation that's being raised on MTV and VH1 with a perverted view of what sex is. It's happened with money. The church has stopped talking about it. So what are we going to do? We're going to be a church that talks about it because we truly believe it's more blessed to give than receive. So we're going to talk about it. We're going to, as your pastor, I don't want to rob you of the blessing of Jesus' teaching of what he taught about. And that's what would happen if we wouldn't talk about it. So we're going to talk about it. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18. Fear, the fear of lack wants to rob our vision of the future. So significant for us. Verse 18, he says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. So I know before Christ, we were all a mess. We were lost. We were dead in our sins. We had shame. We had unworthy thoughts. We were never good enough. We thought we could never be, but don't worry about it because that was BC, baby. That was before Christ. Now we put our faith in Christ. Now scripture says we're made brand new. And so now I've got the love of God. I've got the life of God. I've got the power of God. And here God is telling us, he's saying, hey, forget the former things. Don't dwell in the past, right? So we have to realize that sometimes none of us want to hang out in a morgue with a bunch of corpses. But what happens sometimes is we put our faith in Christ, we become a believer, we're made alive, but then we want to dwell in the past. We want to stay with all the old things. Okay, I'm going to stay with some fear. I'm going to stay with some, pe- some people who are, you know, doing whatever they want, smoking this, drinking that, partying that, being with that person, doing whatever else, cursing this, doing that, and I'm just hanging out with all these things, not realizing that I'm not that anymore. I've been made brand new, and so I need to get in a new place. I don't need to dwell in the past. God is doing something new in us. Right, So God is saying, hey, forget about the old. It's dead and gone. He says, see, I'm doing a new thing. When I was growing up, there was a group called DC Talk, and they had a song called New Thang, and it's spelled with an A, not an I, New Thang. God says, see, I am doing a new thing. He says, now it springs up. Let me hear you shout, now. now. That was good, but I need a little more sass in there. Say, now. now. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? So God is working all the time, but there's the ability for us not to see it. If fear has clouded our vision and we can't see the future God has for us, he's saying, hey, it's time to wake up. It's time to break free from the fear of lack so you can see what I have for you because I'm doing new things in you. I'm moving, and it's time for us to get going that direction. Do you not perceive it? Can you tell that I'm moving? He says this. He says, I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. See, we live in the city, so we don't really understand what the wilderness and the wasteland is. 
but the children of Israel would have understood because their, their forefathers wandered in the wilderness, in the desert, for 40 years. It's being in the desert. There's no, there's no Wawa. There's no Publix. There's none of that kind of stuff. There's no Siptopia. None of that kind of stuff is going to just it's just mountains and dirt and sand as far as you can see. It's a wasteland. It's a desert. There's nothing happening. But God is saying, hey, it doesn't matter what your circumstance is. It doesn't matter what the situation is. It doesn't matter what lack has tried to convince you that you don't have enough of. He's saying in the middle of nothing, in the middle of waste, in the middle of, of missing out on everything, I'm going to bring a treasure. I'm going to bring streams. I'm going to bring provision in the middle of a desert. Let's give God some praise today if you believe it so the fear of lack is not from God I'm a little fired up today I hope y'all don't mind so we're gonna break free from the fear of lack so I want to give us four keys today if you're taking notes you can write these down four keys to breaking free from the fear of lack the first one is this so we need to realize that God has an abundant supply for us we need to realize that God has an abundant supply for us. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 8. So God has an abundant supply. So in other words, God doesn't want his kids to live broke, busted, and disgusted somebody. That's not a good representation of who he is. He's the possessor of heaven and earth, the creator of everything. He's the one who gives us life. He doesn't want his kids walking around looking like trash. No, his kids are the best, the most blessed, surrounded by favor, protected, got everything they need. That's who God's people are, right? He's got an abundant supply for us. And sometimes people just come in with this mentality of, oh, I just, I just don't want, I just, I just not into all that prosperity stuff, and I'm just not into all this blessing stuff. I just, God doesn't, you know, like, I'm like, oh, so you don't have needs? You don't need to pay for your water bill or buy food for your family or put gas in your car. You don't need to provide shelter like the rest of us. Hopefully, we can all get up to that spiritual level with those people one day. But in the meantime, the rest of us have needs, somebody. Anybody else have some needs in this house? Okay, so there's an abundant supply for us that God had promised to meet all of our need. But if all we can see is the lack, if all we can see is that, then we'll never see the good that God has for us in the future. That's why we say our best days are right in front of us. It's not about the good old days. It's about the best days God has for me right in front of me. So we have to realize God has an abundant supply for us. In the story in 1 Kings 17, um, the, it's the prophet Elijah, and he's there. The people of Israel, they've stopped worshiping God. They've begun worshiping idols and, and false gods and uh, so God gives a word to Elijah, and he says, hey, um, tell the people there will be no rain or dew on the land uh, until I say. Okay. So, you know, over the period of years, there was no rain. Think about that for just a minute. We're coming out of rainy season here in central Florida, but no rain and no dew on the land for years until the Lord would say, so what happens with no rain? I, I remember a few years ago, we went through a couple of months with no rain and all of our ponds were getting real low, right? Now take that over a couple of years, the water starts to go away. Now there's no rain for the crops, so the crops aren't growing. There's no rain for the, the herds. There's no water for the people. Before long, there's a famine. There's not enough food. If you've ever been to Walmart the day before a hurricane, you know what it's like when there's no food on the shelves. People getting crazy. The fear of lack setting in. How am I going to have enough? People buying wheat bread. They never bought a loaf of wheat bread in their life. 
You know what I'm saying? People buying green beans are like, what are these strange things I've never seen before? It's just the fear of lack sets in. You know, there's famine in the land. No food for years. People getting hungry. People dying of hunger. All kinds of things going on. So God says, Elijah, after you give this word, I want you to run and hide in the wilderness. I've got a spot for you all, all worked out. So he goes there. It's right by this brook. There's water flowing. And so he's got water there. Then God does something amazing. He sends the ravens, these blackbirds, to bring him food, uh, bread, and meat, Scripture says. It's amazing. These birds flying in, dropping food for him. Y'all thought Uber Eats was original. <laughs> I'm just saying. It came from right here in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is for today. Somebody's going to order Uber Eats and say the New Testament. <laughs> so here he is in this place of provision. God guided him there, provided for him. That's supernatural. Birds bringing you food. And, and, and it says one day the brook dried up and the birds stopped coming. Where are you? Come on, I'm getting hungry. So the interesting thing about this is that the place of provision that God had brought him to was no longer a place of provision. It had dried up. Verse 8. The word of the Lord came to him and said, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So realizing that there's an abundant supply for us. Here Elijah is in the middle of a famine, in the middle of a drought, and here he is. He has fresh water. He has all the food that he can brought to him, airmail right there, and he's got everything that he needs. There was an abundant supply, but the day came when that supply seemed to no longer be there. But it wasn't that God ran out. It wasn't that God decided, oh, now I'm not going to bless him. No, God actually had a different plan. He had another place of provision for Elijah. So what we need to realize is that even in a place where we know God brought us and provided for us and was a place for provision, and then one day it dries up, God didn't forget about us. He didn't run out of blessing for us. He didn't run out of provision for us. It's just that he's going to bring us to another place that he's got provision for us because God has an abundant supply for us. And it doesn't matter where we find ourselves, what situation we find ourselves in. It can be a drought. It can be a famine. It can be a bad economy. And we can still be prospered. We can still be blessed. We can still be led by the Spirit because he will always lead us to a place of provision. My pastor growing up taught me this. He said, wherever God guides you, he always provides. Everywhere God guides us, he always provides. So when something starts drying up, hey, that's the time, God, where are you leading me? What do you have for me? What's in this new season for me? Rather than, oh, God, what's happening? Why did you hang me out to dry? No, just press into him, God, what do you have for me now? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? God has an abundant supply for us. So Elijah went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, Hey, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I can have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called again and said, Please bring me a piece of bread also. So if we're this, you know, we put ourselves in the uh, seat of this widow woman, the water's easy, sure. That's from the well. Everybody can come there. I'll help you out. But you want some of my what? You want some of my food? Did you know what I had to do to get that? Hold up, bro. Right? Don't be acting super spiritual right now. Many of us would feel that way if some random guy walked up and started asking for our food. Listen to her response. As surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. 
Everybody say, the fear of lack. It's so plain to see in her right there. The fear of lack is working double time. You know what I'm saying? Like it's so easy to see it in her and and it's easy to see it in other people, but it's not always easy to see the fear of lack working in us, where it's driving our decisions, where it's the controlling force in us and how we respond and the things we say and the things that we do. But so many times what happens, we get worked up. We begin to uh, lash out at people. We begin to get stressed out. We begin to make compromising decisions and, and all kinds of things because we're, we're trying to make more money. We're trying to claw something out, get, get our piece of whatever and get to wherever we think we have to be to make sure that the fear of lack isn't there. But can I tell you, the fear of lack does not discriminate and it doesn't care if you have $15 or $15 million in the bank. The fear of lack is right around the corner from everybody. Because I, I mean, I, I know rich people who live a life of fear, who are tormented because they're afraid they're going to lose what they have. And so they got to do more and try to get more so that they have more, to get more security and more protection and all these kinds of things because they're living a life that is only for their consumption and everything is about fear and they're driven by those things. We've got to break free of these things. So what we need to understand is God has an abundant supply. So let's put it in modern terms. If there's a recession on this earth, there's not one in heaven. Amen. Come on. And we don't belong to this earth. Amen. We're citizens of heaven. Oh, come on. Come on. So we have access to the supply. Yes. It's good news for us. We have access to the unlimited supply. Here's number two, num- key number two to breaking the fear of lack in our lives. First of all, we need to realize God has a, 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 lim- a limitless supply for us. Number two is we got to reorder some priorities got to reorder our priorities. Verse 13, Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, underline that word first, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. It's the principle of first. What we do first matters. In fact, you can tell more about a person by what they do first than probably anything else. So what do, you know, like, what do we run to? What do we do first? What's the first thing we do when we get home? What's the first thing we do when we get paid? You can tell a lot about a person. You can tell what's on the throne of their hearts by what they do first. Because our biggest fears will spring from what's on the throne of our hearts. So if we're afraid of lack, then, yeah, when I get paid and I got what I need, I'm going to make sure that I pay for everything that's important to me. I'm going to do with what I have first. Same thing with my time. What, whatever is the most important to me is what I'm going to do first. So we've got to reorder some of our priorities. This is what he's communicating to the widow woman. He's saying, hey, before you make your bread, please make mine. It's a reordering of priorities of saying, hey, I'm going to put the things of God first And then he'll take care of everything else. So we say it this way. When I trust God with the first, then he'll bless the rest. Like I trust him first, and then he takes care of the rest because that's what he promised to do. So here he's telling this woman to do this. We have uh, an advantage even over what this woman had is that we have the whole story. She's just hearing it for the first time. You want me to what? It was going to be a little cake to start with because we were just going to eat this one thing and then die. So it must not have been that much bread to start with. And now you want me to divide it in half and give you half? Like, that doesn't sound very appetizing. You know, it's like I got this little more, so I'm just going to eat a sugar packet today, I guess, you know. 
And, and here he's just, he's telling us, but we get the end of the story. We know what happens when we put God first. Man, it's getting our lives in alignment. So don't hear what I'm not saying. This is not compulsion. This is not twisting of an arm. This is not requirement. But it is a key to breaking the fear of lack. If you want to break the fear of lack in your life, then you need to reorder the priority of your finances. It's, it's just, it's not a requirement. So that's when people get into, well, that's legalism, Pastor. No, no, no. It's just getting our lives in alignment with the word of God. See, God is, God is always pouring out blessing. God never runs out of blessings. He never runs out of peace. He never runs out of joy. He never runs out of provision. He never runs out of the good that he's pouring out. In fact, he's constantly pouring it out on his people. But what happens is, is that God is pouring his, his blessings out. But then sometimes we get going through life and we get out of alignment. We start doing things our ways. We start believing that I'm going to be struggling with lack and now I can't see the good. And then we get out of the place that God has brought us into. And now we're no longer in a place where we're receiving the blessing. And then we're like, God, well, why aren't you blessing me? I'm trying to do some nice things. And like, but God, when we begin to live by the word and we reorder our priorities, we begin to put God first, then what are we doing? We're getting our lives back in alignment with the word. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves being blessed again. Why? Not because we did something to get something. It's just because we got ourselves in alignment with what God already said. So sometimes people are like, well, I'm not into all that blessing. Well, then you, are, then, then you are after something that is against God's will. So when we get after something, like, because we know God's will is that we would prosper and be in health even as our soul prospers. God's will is that we would be prosperous, that we would be doing okay, that we would have everything that we need. So when we get into this realm of, well, that's just, that's just crazy talk, I'll just... No, then we're, we're actually working against God's will. We've got to realign ourselves and get back in a place with God where God is our priority, right? Um, Jesus uh, spoke about this. Um, I'm sorry, this is Proverbs. This is not Jesus speaking. This is Proverbs. I got ahead of myself a little bit. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the, the leftover parts after you paid all your bills and you paid everything else and you did what you wanted with what you have. Y'all are going to let me get away with that? first service did too. So I just want to make sure we're all reading the same Bible. Okay, the holy B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. <laughs> Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the what? Help me out with the first. Let's try it again. With the there you go. Y'all sound good. With the first fruits of all your crops, then what happens? So it's alignment process that's happening here. Honoring God with our wealth. Honoring him with the first fruits, right? He says, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim with new wine. Now, I don't have barns or vats, but I have bank accounts, right? Anybody else? I have a pantry that needs groceries in it. You know what I'm saying? He's saying that when our lives are in alignment, naturally the blessings flow. It's going to overflow. It's going to be abundance. You're going to have two much because he's El Shaddai. He's the God of more than enough. He's Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees ahead and provides. So naturally, when we're in alignment with his word, blessings are going to flow. It's going to be too much. You're going to have more than you need so that you can give it away because that's what the blessing is. I'm preaching good today. Thank you, Chris. You are. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's not a requirement, but it is if you want to break the fear of lack in your life. It's, it's good for us. Elijah 
goes on, and he tells her the response of what will happen if she puts God first, right, in this way. So he says, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So in other words, there is a limitless supply that she was getting access to. Is the reordering of the priorities allowed her to access the limitless supply? And it's the same thing with our lives. When we reorder our priorities and God is on the top of our hearts, on the throne of our hearts, we have access to the limitless supply, right? So let's do some math for just a minute, right? So there's three people. It says Elijah, her, and her son, her family. We only know of the one person in her family, right? So let's read what the next part is. I got to skip down to it. Verse 15. So she went away. She did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of oil, the flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word spoken by Elijah. Here's key number three. We need to decide that God alone is our source. We have to decide that God alone is our source. So here's the math. Elijah, the widow, and her son. There's three of them. So in the story, we don't have uh, an exact reference to the amount of time from the time when Elijah met the widow until rain came on the earth. But in the surrounding stories of what's going on around them, we can uh, make our best guess, and that is about a year's worth of time happened in this period from when Elijah met the widow until it started to rain on the earth again, right? So the math is there's three of them, Elijah, the widow, the son, if they ate three meals a day like many of us do, that's three times three times 365. That's a little over 3,000 meals provided. Can you say, could you see the limitless supply from one little morsel of cake that was going to sustain them for a little bit until they died to over 3,000 meals? Come on, that is good. God is our source. It didn't come through the government. No one showed up and knocked on our door and delivered a flour and oil every day. It was a limitless, supernatural supply that God brought because she was willing to reorder her priorities she saw the provision that was there so we have to decide that God is our source the company is not our source the 401k the government the whatever checks coming in from wherever those are not the source God is our source he is our source and we have to decide this in our heart so how do we know if God is our source I'm glad you asked that's a great question I got two questions for us write these down type them in your phone two questions to ask ourselves so we can really begin to evaluate, is God my source? Because it's good to say it, God is my source, but until it translates into actions and how I live, then he's probably not. So here's two questions. The first one is this, is how do I relate to my things? How do I relate to my things? Are all my things mine? I earned this. I did this. Or do we have the understanding that God owns it all anyways, and he gave me the power to get them, so everything I have belongs to him? How do I relate to my things? Jesus talked about this. Matthew 6, he said, Don't lay up for yourself treasures on this earth where moth or rust break in, uh, can destroy and thieves can break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, right? Where it doesn't waste away, where moths don't, it doesn't ruin it, thieves can't break in and steal. So evidently there's the, the ability for us to send things on ahead of us to heaven. We can lay up treasures in heaven. Now, that doesn't mean that we can pack it all in a U-Haul and take it with us. I don't know if you've ever seen a U-Haul behind a hearse, but you probably haven't because you can't take nothing with you when you leave. 
you came onto this earth as dust and you're going to leave as dust, baby. But evidently, we can send some things on ahead of us. How do we do it? Seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. When we begin to prioritize the kingdom of God and his values and the things that are important to him, then everything else we have, that's how we lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven, is living that way. Now, this does not mean, I just got to be clear, this doesn't mean we shouldn't have savings, okay? I believe Jesus is telling us the opposite, right? Because he's saying, you can have everything you need. We should have savings. We should have retirement plans. We should have those things. In fact, Proverbs says, a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That's his grandchildren. So a wise person leaves an inheritance for them, right? So we should be saving. We should be leading the way in how to build wealth. Why? Because in order to reach people around the world, guess what? It's going to take some money. In order to build water wells in Southeast Asia, guess what? It costs around $2,500. In order for us to have fall festival, it's going to cost some money for us to rent some bounce houses, to have some games. It costs all of us coming together, buying candy, bringing it in. It costs things to reach people. So God needs his people to be leading the way with generosity, building wealth, teaching the world. Like, this is how you build wealth. Like, we should be the ones leading the way because we have access to an unlimited supply. And God is supplying it all to us. Amen. Here's the second question to ask ourselves. The first one, how do I relate to my stuff? The second one is, am I quick to obey? <laughs> am I quick to obey? See, we live in a culture that seeks more blessing and seeks more knowledge and less obedience. Am I quick to obey? It's easy to obey in the small stuff. But what about in the stuff that costs us, costs us something? I remember Heather and I, we were first married, um, been married a couple years, and we were doing all right. You know, we both were working and we had, a, you know, we were making more money than we ever had. You know, it wasn't a whole lot, but we had baby, Bella was a baby, and uh, so we were, we were doing okay. And I remember uh, the day the Lord spoke to us, and he's uh, something very specific, and he said, I want you to give this specific card to a family in the church. And so I went to Heather, and I said, um, did God speak to you? And she said, yes. And so I've, I've learned over the years of being married that when God speaks to us that way, where he speaks to both of us, that it's usually um, <laughs> something sacrificial he wants us to give. And so what we learned to do was we would each write down what God spoke to us so it wasn't like when I would say something, it was influencing her, and she couldn't say what God spoke to her to say. So we would write down what God spoke to us to say, and then we would trade the papers, right? So we did this in this instance, and so sure enough, it was the same thing. It was very specific. We're supposed to give this car to these people. And so we were like, Oh, God, are you sure about this? Um, we were just through Dave Ramsey paying cash for cars, right? We haven't had a car loan. We just take, when we need a new car, we sell the one we have, put that into the new one with whatever we've saved, right? That's how we buy the car. So we were like, God, are you sure about this? So what we did, I would love to tell you that we were a quick to obey and that we obeyed and we gave the car, but we were not. Um, we drug our feet. We began to pray, you know, through the 
eyes of lack, God, you know, if we, if you really want us to do this, then, uh, you know, I, I know you're going to provide something else for us because how are we, what are we going to do? We just won't have another car. How could we ever have another car? And over the period of a couple months, we begin to drag our heels, make excuses, begin to see things through the fear of lack because, man, we just won't have enough. We'll never be able to do this again. And, and God, you, did, you probably didn't really mean that. You probably just meant something else. And so we begin to operate this way. And um, so then after a few months of, of thinking this way, talking to each other, convincing each other of this, right, then we begin to feel guilty. Maybe you've ever been in that place before where God has spoke to you to do something, you didn't do it. And then the devil, he just loves to capitalize on those moments and come in and bring shame and guilt and all that. And we just begin to feel so bad and feel guilty about it. And so we finally got to the place where, like, you know what, we better just do it. It's been several months since God has spoke to us. So we, you know, we did it. We got the title out. We gave it to them. They were so happy. It was great. And so then we're like, okay, God, we did it. Now where's the blessing? We were so excited. We felt so, you know, proud of ourselves and still dealing in the fear of lack. And God says, I remember so clearly he said to me, he's like, why did you do that? Well, you spoke to us and told us. He said, no, no, no. I told you to do that back there. We're up here now. See, delayed obedience is no is not obedience. So am I quick to obey? Am I quick to obey? See, God is good. He, he restored us. He takes care of us. But he was trying to teach us in that moment, are you quick to obey? Can we be people who are quick to obey even when it costs us something? Can we be quick to obey? Here's key number four, breaking the fear of lack. We need to release a spirit of faith in our lives. So we need to release a spirit of faith in our lives. See, faith has corresponding actions. So often, time, people, uh, we hear things, we get excited about it. And uh, so many times I've talked to people and they, they have the knowledge. They know some things. They know some scriptures. They, they can talk about theology and all these things, but it just stays knowledge in their head, and it never moves past that. See, we've got to grow to the point where we can let knowledge become revelation in our hearts. Revelation is understanding, the ability to apply it. It's, it's knowing something in a deeper way beyond just memorizing facts and knowing what something is. So we've got to allow information to move into a heart to be revelation because it's at that place of revelation that it becomes real to us, real enough that we can take steps of faith, that we begin to shape our lives by it. So it's more than just memorizing. Faith has corresponding actions to it. Faith it, uh, says and then does. Faith believes and then does. So faith has actions to it, right? So the, the spirit of lack says, I'm going to take what I have, I'm going to eat it and consume it, and then I'm going to die. The spirit of faith says, I'm going to take what I have, I'm going to give it, and then I'm, I'm going to have more of what I need, and I'm not going to die. That's why greed is not restricted to the wealthy. There's more people who are poor who are more greedy, right? Because greed is when I think that everything I have is for my consumption. It's lack has blinded our ability to see the good has for us. That's why we believe it is more blessed to give than to receive. Because we know, what am I doing? I'm getting my life in alignment. When I put my faith, 
when I put my actions, where I talk about, and where I'm hiding God's word in my heart, it's in those places, man, that faith comes alive, that it moves into revelation. So why don't we do it right now? Just all across this room, let's jump to our feet, because I, I believe that God, his power is here. He's speaking to hearts and minds right now to break us free of the fear of lack. Some of us have been in those places where we've been shut down. We've been immobilized because we've been, we've been driven by the fear of lack, and today I believe that the Spirit and the power of God is here to give us fresh vision, to break us free from some things, to break us out of some things that have held us back. So Lord, I thank you right now that you're breaking us free from the fear of lack. If you're here, that's you're saying, that's me. I've been bound up by the fear of lack for too long. And today I'm taking bold steps of faith to step out of that. I'm going to ask you just to get down here as quick as you can. Join me here at the front. Say, I'm breaking free from the fear of lack. Lord, I thank you that even in this place, you're, you're building up faith inside of us, that you're bringing hope on the inside of us to believe that you have greater for us, that there is an abundant supply for us in this place. Place. 